You are listening to episode eight of the Equine Collective podcast. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Equine Collective, a weekly explorative and empowerment podcast for the dreamers, the innovators, and the rebels of our global equestrian community with your hosts, Mary Anderson and Keely Portsmouth. In the coming weeks, we'll be exploring how mindfulness and the whole horse and human wellness and connection are playing a pivotal role across disciplines and the equestrian industry. We'll be having some conversations with some fiercely empowered men and women who are leading the charge in improving the lives of horses and their humans through innovative concepts and methods. Join us now for our journey to knowledge, empowerment, and growth. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Equine Collective podcast. If you've been following us on social media, then you have noticed that we have started a few changes that will continue to roll out throughout the month of March. Trust me, you guys, there is a method to my madness and we have some pretty awesome stuff coming out within the next month. So please um, hang on and I can't wait to share those with you. I would also like to take a moment to send a huge, huge, huge thank you and shout out to all of the people who have been sending their amazing encouragement and feedback about our podcast episodes from all over the world. Seriously, you guys like Germany, Australia, we've had New Zealand, we've had some from Asia, just amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I am humbled and equally blown away that you have all connected with my podcast and the social media and it gives me a renewed vigor to continue bringing to you guys better and better content and hosting more and more amazing people. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart. I also wanted to mention that my sidekick and co-host Keely Portsmouth is still not going to be on the episode this week or next week. However, she is coming, so hold on to your seats, you guys. Like I said, we have some new stuff coming and it's going to be awesome. Now, to introduce our guest today, ladies and gents, I am so excited. This guy is the epitome of our dreamer, innovator, and rebel of the equestrian world, um, motto that we have for our podcast. He is a master saddle maker and innovator, Franco Clotes. Franco's saddles are not only absolute beautiful works of art, but also check all the boxes on form and function for both the horse and rider. These saddles are seriously stunning, so if you can't wait any longer to have a look at them, head on over to our social media page at Huckleberry Horse Co., where I've put up some links as well as some pictures of Franco's work, or you can check out his website at clothesaddle.com. That's C-L-O-E-T-E-S saddles.com. Awesome, awesome stuff, and I'm excited to share our conversation with you guys so that you can see just how much Franco is into innovating and creating saddles that really go beyond the general saddle making mindset and help both horse and rider find equilibrium and balance within the beautiful dance that we do together. So thank you, thank you. Welcome, Franco, and I hope you guys all enjoy your conversation. Welcome to this week's episode of the Equine Collective. Today we will be talking to master saddle maker and designer Franco Clotes. Franco's saddles are stunning handcrafted um, pieces of artwork that don't just talk to the form and function for the horse but also for the rider and being the Equine Collective kind of what we're going for is looking for things you know that are crafted outside of the box that aren't just you know a saddle you slap on a horse but also saddles that work both for the riders biomechanics and for the horses biomechanics so when I first saw your saddles they just blew me out of the water so thank you for joining today Franco and uh yeah tell us a bit about your journey and how you became a saddle maker 
Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, always good to be on these podcasts and I'd like to share my information. I don't keep it to myself. It's benefiting the horse and the rider to you know, the equine world. I'm willing to share it. Um, I've been doing saddles since 1994, so I guess about 23, 24 years. And then uh, I came to Canada about 12, 13 years ago just to try to you know, learn more about saddle making um, because that's not kind of a career in South Africa. Although I was already into the saddle making with my limited knowledge and we were really building saddles for the endurance market. And there was kind of the proof in the pudding. Like if, you, if you, your saddle and the design and your integrity can't stand up over 100 miles, then you're probably not even part of the program. <laughs> yeah, so we worked really closely with vets and the sheiks in Arabia. And, you know, and they, I kind of learned a lot through trial and error and um, been designing saddles kind of outside the box. Just kind of eliminate issues that arise and rather than try and reinvent the wheel. But it's always nice to reinvent the wheel and see if you, you, know, you can push the boundaries a bit. <laughs> so um, then I came to Canada and then it was quite of a hard grunt. I was always doing saddles a little part-time as well and um, trying to get that off the ground. But obviously the newbie, the new kid on the block, the market, they don't know you. So it was pretty hard to get back into the market. And I decided, well, okay, there is a need for a different kind of saddle. There's, there's a big gap in the market for lightweight saddles. And number two, um, saddles, I always hear the problems that arise with conventional saddles, saddles off the shelf. And and um, the, the big thing, in my opinion, is, you know, one pair of shoes doesn't fit the whole family. <laughs> And uh, so therefore, you know, uh, there's not one size fits all, but there is a saddle that fit most, but not all of them. And because people are breeding so wide and diverse now at this stage, they're riding drum horses, they're riding draft horses, draft crosses, sport horses involved, you know, and they bring in Icelandics and yeah, it's just all sorts. And now it's a new, total new ball game. So we've kind of listened to the market and listened to the, the problems arise and listen to the need of the, the current market and then uh, started thinking, okay, well, let's do this thing. So it took me about three years of R&D and, you know, going to the whole new design. So it took me about three and a half years before we started launching this new kind of design or new idea of, of saddle making. And uh, yeah, I've been very successful. I've proven to be very successful. There's still, I think, out of the how many how many hundreds of saddles, there were maybe one. There was one horse that I didn't really think I could help. But so far, you know, every single horse with a different issue seems to be accommodated. And um, so yeah, that's kind of my little history. And I'm I did some cabinet making cabinet making dragging that along. So I'm full time saddle making for the last probably four years now again. So that's really good because it's, it's the saddle making is sustaining me now and the R&D is a little, it never stops, but um, the investment is starting to, to turn around now. So it's now building the saddles that I spend time investing and, you know, developing and so on and so forth. So uh, that's where we are at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that. And the R&D never stops too, because you're, you're looking at creating a, a, saddle that just that works for every horse and like you said horses come in so many wide range shapes and forms right they're so unique in and themselves and then you add you know breed specific challenges so like the Icelandics who definitely need a saddle that's going to have a little bit more um, ability to accommodate the the gate um, and then you add on top of that the owners, <laughs> which is again, a whole nother ballpark. And, and, um, you know, I've, I've been around the horse world for a while and I've met a few phenomenal and seen a few great saddle makers, but they always kind of focus on one area or the other. They focus on the absolute fit of the saddle for the horse, or they focus on the fit of the saddle for the, the rider, right. but combining that and getting that more whole holistic approach of outside of the box thinking when you're creating these, like I said before, beautiful pieces of art that also provide form and function for both horse and rider. That's a, that's a challenge in on itself. Um, that is very true. Very true words. Um, I think the biggest problem was um, 
I'm just going to elaborate on you know what I try and improve and not necessarily reinvent is the fact that people or that my main market are elderly ladies or ladies over the age of at least 40, you know, going into the 50s, 60s. I've got ladies at 84 still riding, but they can't lift 40 pound saddles, but they still want the function and the, the weight spread and the, the, um, the comfort of the Western saddle because they done the, and the t cap and the t-shirt on the uh, dressage era now they just want to go out and ride and be comfortable and secure in the cell but they want the western cell but they can't handle the weight so that was one big thing that i had to eliminate was weight the second one was to actually get a tree to build a tree in a, in a production way but yet custom to every single horse so um, just to keep the price lower, because if you're going to start doing custom trees in every single scenario, you know, you, you push yourself in a very high custom price range. So to, uh, it took a long time to come up with a, an idea. The principle we, we utilize now, we invested way too much money to, to get to this, <laughs> where we can actually build a custom tree for every single horse in a production way. And the other thing was then now you address the horse first, what can the horse handle what bar length what design what weight will ultimately be carried over what distance for what period of time and then what is the riding discipline what do you try and achieve with a saddle tree and then once that is done then we would slap the cantle and the pommel on according to what the rider would need and then but a lot of traditional saddles have a pre-built seat so is that um, and we know as much as horses change in the back profile and in their conformation and um, the difference between static and motion fit, we'll get to that later. That's a whole new can of, uh, can of worms. <laughs> so then we have to actually put the saddle on. They have a downhill horse, which I would probably not breed, but for certain sports, they do breed them. You do have a horse. You're not really going to sell the horse and buy another one that's better conformation. So the horse is downhill or the horse is way too uphill. And you need a neutral seat for Western equitation and just for general good riding practice you know to be over the fulcrum so you need them balanced so now you have a pre-built seat in the shop but you don't know what that saddle is going to look like when it's on the horse and you don't know what that saddle is going to do when that horse gets into motion and so much so now you actually diversify between breeds too because the difference between motion and or static and motion fit between a quarter horse and let's say a tennessee walker a uh, you know the ratio are two different things you you have to um, apply the saddle differently too so um, now you slap the saddle on you put the rider on the rider can't get his balance or her balance um, the pelvis is posterior anterior, anterior rotated um, she's not balanced she's too far back too far forward the leg position underneath is might be great for me or I could put my wife on and say well this is great yeah the saddle what they call in English term the seat has got a nice twist or it follows your body anatomy really good for support like but now I put another lady in that's totally different bolt and I, I thought the seat is great. Now I put the other rider in, same horse, same saddle, and it's totally a mis, mismatch. So now if the rider is fighting the saddle, no matter how well that saddle fits, the saddle's gonna fight the horse and then it's just you know, you haven't won anything. So then I started designing or thinking how can we adjust the stirrups, which is in my opinion very very important if you look at dynamics and that kind of thing. And then also change the seat after the fact. So it has a base seat to start off with. And then you can alter the seat to position, rotate, and alternate the rider's um, hip position and spine alignment. So that you can actually have two um, motion objects in equilibrium. So they can move properly. And, you know, and then a lot of times you just align the rider proper. On, even in a 50% ill-fitting saddle, just by aligning the rider properly, you already have a way better um, or a way happier horse because the horse can also all of a sudden pass, you know, um, transition nicely. That you put them in a gate, they stay in the gate. They can, they just, the maneuvers are way more easier just by changing the seat in the saddle. So there's uh, so many aspects that need to work together to actually, it's actually the, I think is the, the, um, the most difficult project that I actually got myself into because you're not working with one person or building a pair of shoes or a handbag or something like this. Now you're dealing with a motion versus um, static object 
on the ground and you're going to take a saddle and marry a static and emotional object on the horse too. So it is, it's tough. <laughs> it's not easy. I've got a lot to learn yet. <laughs> well, but, so, uh, so far okay. what I've seen, uh, you've done a phenomenal job. I know you've created some uh, saddle in collaboration with Paul Dufresne. I've seen that one in, in the works. I've seen the pictures and the, the, the saddles that you have on your website that are just stunning. And you don't just make, um, you do the kind of a Wade style Western and you have a couple other saddle options as well. Can you tell us about some of the other saddle models that you've kind of created and, and worked with? Yeah, sure. Um, so what I've done is do, I started off with kind of more of a, a Western, Western look for Western equitation, Western cowboy dressage, that kind of thing. And um, that was the first saddle to kind of hit the, hit the market there because of its good balance and the adjustability features in it. And then um, I started listening to ladies actually done with dressage, but they want to ac actually have a Western saddle to ride with, but they don't really want to be seen dead in a Western saddle. So then I took <laughs> some of my Western trees and I changed the look of it and the, the leather work of it. So what I would call it is an English crossover. So it, it, I would say it's almost, if you look at it from afar, you wouldn't say it's a Western saddle, but I've taken the aesthetics and the looks and the cosmetics of an English saddle um, and put that on a Western bar or a Western tree. So you have all the functionality and the, the pros of a, of a Western saddle, but still yet look like an English saddle. And uh, I, whatever arrived, I designed different models to, to, um, uh, serve different riding disciplines so basically i did a couple of battle races i told you um i think we mentioned that there was more a fashion market i don't really sell a lot in there it's more for me the older ladies elderly ladies would i put it that way <laughs> that would need comfort and lightweight um so i did a couple of uh, gated saddles um south african trail saddles um what else do i have oh raining saddles too um cutters battle racers I've just um, finished up a new hunting saddle now because when I was guiding um, up in northern BC, I found the shortcomings in, in, in any particular saddle. So I started mm. designing a saddle because I spent like maybe eight to 10 hours a day every day in the saddle for three months. So then you really need a saddle that fits well and is practical. So I just developed a saddle now that can basically, you can hike in or you ride in basically. And if you do have something that you need to bring out. I don't know if this is probably not good on this video. We'll have people that no. pro hunting. <laughs> hey, you know what? Okay, so this is the the whole point is for the whole horse and human okay. connection, right? And whether that's your connection out with your horse when you're when you're guiding and hunting, you got to have a pretty decent pack horse or pretty decent horse and pack horse team with right. you, right? Yes. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. No worries yeah. about that. No okay, discrimination yeah, so that's, yeah, and then in that case, as you do, you do pack in or you do ride in, and then you, you would carry uh, just a canvas with you to be able to roll mantis up. So, and then you can actually pack that saddle back out and lead your horse out. So, uh, just okay. kind of developed in that, that kind of direction with um, saddlebags that is fixed to the saddle, built into the saddle, and strapped down with a concertina to the back only because the trees always scrape your saddlebags off. So, there's a lot of um designing developing went in there due to experience so there's a saddle for the hunting and guiding industry saddles for endurance saddles for you know and then if there are people that come up say well i need a saddle that can do this and this and that can you help me yeah let's just design it okay what what do you need it to do so any i i would say i like to to um say that i'm specializing in in performance or or sport saddles you know anything sport and riding different riding disciplines and even disabled uh, riders of accommodate as well even in let's say a riga tree up with a frame on it or even have a bunch of hooks on and make a vest for the rider with bungee cords and you know and yeah i've done them all <laughs> yeah yeah so it's just really it's really interesting it never never ceased to develop and design and learn more and um, uh, I learn a lot from vets and body workers and you know even the horses themselves so um, yeah and I can maybe elaborate a little bit alrighty so um, my saddle trees are built out of uh, a composite which is polyurethane isocyanide which is not traditional wood and it's built out of three pieces and in that I accommodate a cast in um, continuous aircraft cable 
and your rigging hangs on that. So that automatically establishes its own rigging position on every different body type of horse needs. So because it's a polyurethane tree, I, I can do a lot more with the technology and I'm not really limited to horse, to, to wooden rawhide. And um, so there's a bit of a chemical background as well that really um, helped me to, to achieve this new design and development. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it because creative genius is like one of these things. I think people misunderstand with creativity. They kind of think you need to like focus on one thing and just go to town on that. But I think when somebody has like that drive for wanting to innovate and design and build something, you're just going to take in every bit of information. And the cool thing about that, and what I'm kind of hearing when you're chatting too, every new saddle design that you've had to make and work on has given you maybe some ideas to help enhance a different design. So you're not necessarily just creating the new stuff, but you're also kind of using stuff from all different pieces. And that's, that's part of what we're kind of going for with the podcast as well as giving people an opportunity to see all of the learning across the board. Like collectively, we all are horse crazy people. Yeah, <laughs> we, we want <laughs> right? right? Who want to who do the best by our horses. So that's kind of what I'm hearing is that you're innovating and, and designing. And as you're kind of working with one style of saddle, you kind of maybe pick pieces of, of other ones and kind of blend them together to really make them work again. This is the form and function piece that I'm seeing in, in your work to work for all horses, right? Right. Yes. No, that, that's very true. Um, yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever needs, whatever can, can be pulled in and, and used and not necessarily being designed in or for equestrian or in the equine industry, but, um, I must say this, uh, there are a lot of ideas because I do a little bit of mountain biking too, but the, uh, the, um, the R and D or the um, research that went into bicycles itself and bicycle seats on itself is just, I mean, you can write many thick books about that. So just by talking and talking to those designers and guys who do, do research on bicycle seats to accommodate your body, your functions and your, uh, your ability to perform a certain motion, top performance on a certain height and, you know, support and even going into nerve ends. And that, it's just, I've taken that and I've, uh, implemented a lot of that technology not technology but information that's been researched into the saddle seat itself um, so it's it's not necessarily whatever has been done and developed for horses itself but you could you could take it even the foams I'm using are foams that I'm getting um, well that is used and designed for um, the, the automotive industry so if you have to sit in a truck for, let's say, 200,000, 300,000 Ks, by the time the truck's done, you know, the seat needs to be standing up and hold up for, let's say, 10 hours, 8 hours in the, in the, in the car seat, and you must be comfortable. So it's not necessarily design, and, you know, it's also awesome materials. So now you open a whole new ball game, you know, open cell, closed cells, foams, you know, this and that, and how much of it, and combinations. So the, the whole thing is just big. It's huge. So you can't really say, well, I'm just making saddles and know your leathers and stuff. Uh, you've got to know your chemicals. You've got to know your phone. You've got to know the performance. And so you've got to know the breakdown. You're going to know so many things just to kind of pull it all together. Not that I will say I'm a genius. I just like have that inquisitive mind. Okay, what's this new thing? What is it doing? Can I have, you know, use it in my saddles? Will it help the horse or will it help the rider? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Back now to the saddle bars. When you were talking about the saddle bars um, is, well, this is a whole new topic now again, is asymmetry in horses and asymmetry in humans. Because when we build a saddle tree is we have, uh, a saddle that's built symmetrical and totally one mirrors the other side but I don't I think according to my stats are correct only seven percent of the horses that are true symmetrical some work and you know strive to get a horse symmetrical but there are asymmetry in any living or any moving body so how do you accommodate that so that's another thing that's been or needs to be accommodated in your saddle tree saddle bar or a a pad or anything like that. <laughs>
I love it. And I wanted to touch again on, you know, saying that you're drawing inspiration from other areas, other industries, other things in your life. I mean, that, that is, that is innovation. That's, that's it. If you're, if you're just kind of stuck in, in one area, kind of following the train, you're not going to be able to bring these new pieces forward and having that, that creative mind, that's where you're going to, that stuff's going to pop up. You know, um, more recently I, we're developing, uh, we're developing a product here that's going to launch in spring and I drew it from inspiration from my dog's collar, you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's a specific canine product, but it's a product that, that, um, you know, I picked up the collar and I was like, it just hit me. Right. And so that's, that's creativity and that's innovation. And, And that's what I love about your work too, that you're so open to evolve and grow and take things as, as they need to. And, you know, and try new things. So many people are scared to, you know, to kind of step outside of that box. But I think we need to in in this day and age, I think it's going to really help um, evolve. And if you ever look back in in history at anything, right, everything, everything started because somebody stepped outside of the box, maybe drew an idea from somewhere else and then ran with it, right. And so, so yeah, that's beautiful to hear. I'm, you know, I can really appreciate that process, that, right? That is exactly yeah, yeah. Somebody, you just need to step outside the box and don't be, don't be um, too faced if it fails or doesn't fail, or just keep going with it. Well, quickly it comes up WD40. That's where that comes from. That's trial number forty that actually worked. <laughs> that's why it's called WD40. Yeah. <laughs> But it took him 40 times to get there. So, yeah, don't don't stop at the first fail. And um, I were against um, treeless saddles um, for a very long time due to all the problems that arise with, with treeless saddles. Um, a tree is there for a specific reason. But um, because of all the different breeds and, 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 and the micro evolution of the horse, that I found that you know tree saddle could be just as detrimental if it's not correctly built or correctly functioning than a treeless saddle would be. So I figured, okay, well, I'm going to endeavor it, and I did it about two three weeks ago. Um, I just took leather, I took materials, and I started building a hybrid semi treeless saddle. Try and eliminate all the problems that are uh arising in a treeless saddle or dead arise and then eliminate all the issues that a treed or a solid tree saddle would uh, impose on a horse if it's not correctly designed or fitted so uh, i've done a saddle with different technology but i've used ancient technology actually but did it in a modern saddle now so um specifically to target the um, icelandics and then the gated horses because the difference between um, Static fit and motion fit are two different things. So in a horse standstill, you have a certain profile, you have a certain form and function of a tree. But as soon as you put weight on it, things already start changing. And now you put that horse in motion, especially the gated horses, a lot of things change, especially the rock, um, the muscles that come into motion, the the whole dynamics and um, the whole thing about the saddle changes dramatically, tremendously. Um, so if you had a treat saddle, you can't really take measurements of the conformation of the horse when you're standing still. You can, but that's not going to tell you much unless you can do it in motion. I was thinking maybe just take another horse and, you know, measure a, a moving horse at the speed of 40 k's an hour kind of thing <laughs> to get the shape. But that's, that's besides the point. But So therefore, what can the saddle do to accommodate the change from static to motion? And then I um, come up with this saddle that's a semi-hybrid treeless saddle that can accommodate those changes i'm not going to elaborate too much if it fails then i didn't say too much if it works then we'll we'll go further with it and i think it's going to (laughs) work so um it's uh there are a lot of new technologies out there too um that uh, engineer came up with and another saddle maker um started using and uh, which is really great so if she refined it she'll have a good product um but I've gone a different way too. So um, yeah, there's another saddle in the, in the market for that specific issue problems. 
So it was widespread of bars, um, over the stirrup straps over the saddle, not to put pressure on the spine, to spread the weight completely over a soft, a soft saddle or, or a, 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 a flexible saddle. Because flexible or flex saddles, treeless saddles, they have a bit of a stigma around them. You can avoid a lot of issues just by changing materials only. So moving from chrome to veg could change or eliminate a lot of issues already. And changing from this foam to that foam could do a lot more too and accommodate a horse better that a solid tree cannot accommodate. <laughs> um, so uh, I know we've been, we've been talking to and from. Yeah, I've been, well, I, and I, I specifically, I was never for treeless saddles for most of my um, riding career. I've had, yeah. I've had handcrafted custom dressage saddles that, uh, you know, cost me, you know, my, my left arm and my kidney. <laughs> you know? And I've had, I've had phenomenal Western saddles too, but my latest horse that I'm riding, um, is a, a paint mare and I've had saddle fitters come out and just look at me and say, Oh, well, good luck. Good luck with her because <laughs> she, right. she tends to, she's built downhill, you know? Um, right. And then when she's standing straight, she's got a fairly straight back, but she still has just enough between her shoulder and wither and her back angle. She creates just enough pressure for, for pretty good bridging pressure points. And then right. as soon as she moves and she can engage her, big quarter horse hind end, you know, she, as soon as she starts bringing motion, now suddenly the saddles rock. So what I found is I've, I've, you know, currently am riding in a, a treeless saddle that is definitely blowing my uh, whole previous idea of what treeless saddles should be. But what I'm thinking and where the market can kind of evolve to in the future as well is adding a little bit more innovation of the the form and function and the beauty as well right um treeless saddles in general i mean there's definitely some fantastic crafters out there who've made some great examples but adding some more um of the you know e all of the above form function and so even a partially treed saddle even something that has a little bit more structure but still allows for that movement like you said the difference between static mm -hmm. and in motion right motion. allows for that movement and that's what i've found in my treeless saddle is that uh the range of movement is crazy now i've also had custom saddles so here's the here's the the piece to it right um i've had custom saddles that allowed a phenomenal range of movement and i think that j there's just a one size like you said previously one size fits all mindset to a lot of equipment that we have for horses and I think it's, uh, it's easy to walk into a store and purchase a saddle for, you know, $1,000 or $2,000. And yeah, it might work. You're really not getting as much horse out of your ride <laughs> because a lot of times right. they might be pinching yeah. off or putting pressure points that you might not be noticing. So then to have something that's well-fitted, and that's where the tree list doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, it's just another option for those little bit trickier horses to fit. Um, but a well-fit, you know, wade style saddle or something, you know, that's fit specifically for that horse, I think really is what we need to be looking at less on less of the, you know, what specific model is better per se. But, um, but I think the treeless saddle has, has a uh, market has a huge potential for growth too right now, um, you know, for those yeah. trickier horses. Yeah. That's an area that you just mentioned that occurs in your horse is mainly mainly the 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 big thing why um i think uh saddles or treeless saddles combined should be you know evolving a bit better um to accommodate especially that you know a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on rafter angles and look at the weather what's the same angle do you have enough shoulder clearance and you know follow through to the back but the 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 dynamic or the the issues that you have to look at are so many more that have to work together to make a good fitting saddle whether length um trapezius length the how big the lats are where they where they connect onto the spine what are the rip set has uh, got a high rip set cage is you know low it's how much is going to engage um, what discipline you're going to ride how fast you're going to ride what weight you're going to put on there and as as i say um i think rock issue i found in the last year were 
as much, if not more important than get your after angles right and correct. So all the things that people were looking at in the past were as important, but I must say that I found that, you know, the whole rock issue and how that saddle accommodates the rock or uh, engaged horse or a collected horse in motion is more important than, you know, looking at those previous points that people really put a lot of emphasis on. And, you know, a lot of emphasis were put on saddle length. Uh, that was a big thing too. Um, I personally do not have too much issue with a saddle expanding way past the transverse processes, you know, on a horse's back, as long as you don't interfere with the spine, you don't interfere with the hip bones. Um, you can you can put a fairly long saddle on a horse because those long and dorsi muscles are really thick and strong on the loin area. You know, it's enough to carry a saddle if it's properly designed, properly rocked and um, flared out in the, in the, in the right places. So, but that being said, um, yeah, hard tree. Now you got to go with, okay, what does a horse do when they engage? You know, they change from, let's say, a really call, call it a sway back and call it a mule back, which is fairly straight, or a Rocky Mountain horse, they, they have a fairly straight back with fairly engaged shoulders. So the rock patterns, I've, I have so many different rock patterns, and you have to accommodate all of that in motion. And uh, so if the horse can't really. Uh, the saddle can't really adapt when a horse is standing, when a horse is walking, or when a horse is really in full gaited motion, because they have three different backs in all those three scenarios I've just mentioned. So the saddle needs to be adapted in that area. So therefore, I think new technology is really needed. I think we really have to relook at things again to kind of accommodate all those issues because a hard tree, don't matter how well anybody or I can build a hard tree and how neat and how you know sexy I can build that tree, if it's not going to work for that areas that we have problems with, then it's, it's not going to cut it. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Okay. Uh, I must say. Can you speak to too? I mean, uh, saddle form function and, um, you know, is, is definitely crazy important, but then you add, you know, I know you also make some beautiful accessories and stuff to go along with your saddles that also work. Like how do they contribute to, you know, obviously the fit of the saddle is important, but having a good saddle pad, can you speak to that? Yes, I, yeah, I'd like to, to, to add, yeah, now we get into saddle pads and that is the industry in itself that's just exploding. A lot of people using different materials and different, you know, it's, it's new technology coming out and I have samples of new stuff here coming out of my yin yang because, you know, you always want to check something, test it and all that. But I am building a saddle pad that follows every horse's contour or top line to uh, eliminate pressure on the spine throughout the whole length of the pad for every single saddle to accommodate this cable reading. And the only fabric or the only material I use is pure wool. Wool and pure wool and nothing else at this stage. Yes. Because I haven't found anything better yet. <laughs> We've been tried, we tried it, we tested it. We, we And that is on a hundred miles in the hot South African desert areas. And, um, Wool is, I, I stick my wool at this moment. Um, I haven't found a, a better product yet. There might be another product with new technology coming out sometime soon and we'll test it. And But so far, wool is, in my opinion, the best um, uh, material to use because the more you use it, I um, pure wool has kind of little hooks on itself. So that's how they felt it because it hooked onto itself. The more you ride the pad, the more it'll felt up. And um, I like to only rinse a pad after riding just to get rid of the mud, but I do not like to brush it out. I like to use the horse's hair to felt in the pad over time to keep on adding to the thickness. So I use the horse's own natural fibers to, to add to the pad. Um, that is one thing. It will um, uh weak moisture away from the horse's body you need to get the moisture away so that's why any closed cell foam or a rubbery thing or anything like that in i'm talking now long distance rides where horse sweats lots and you know you need to get that away from the horse and you need to um, keep uh, regulate the temperature so 
the pad we could after every vet check you could pull it off you could shake it out because it holds all the moisture it takes it away from the back it holds it in and you either change the pad out or you can just shake it out and it's the coolest material so far kept the horse the coolest throughout and uh, that excessive heat and um, I like to use about no less than half an inch and no more than an inch Mm-hmm. You know, of pure wool felt, um, felt to do a density for about a F11, F10, F11 density. That's got enough shock absorbing, enough room to allow heat and enough cushioning to um, to be between the horse and the saddle. Because it's not necessarily only wicking water away. It's going to have to be um, regulating temperature and it's going to have to um, absorb shock and friction between the saddle and the horse so it's got to do all those four functions otherwise it's no good it can't do one thing good if it does all four very well or fairly well that's the best pad you can use so wool pure wool and nothing else <laughs> i'm i'm with you there i've i've done a little bit of exploration in this area myself and i definitely think that um wool kind of checks all the boxes i always like to think there's like uh a few of my mentors will talk about universal truths. Universal truths are things that hold true across the board, you know, and are true in many different areas. And I think when I was, you know, doing a bit of research on saddle pads, obviously nothing replaces um, having a well-fit saddle. Like a saddle pad shouldn't replace getting a well-fit saddle. Um, However, getting a saddle pad that really, again, form function that that you know doesn't overheat the horse's back that helps with fit that has some um compression values to it some sustainability i know there's kind of a bit of a kick right now on the animal industry animal farming industry and and going to more polyacrylic fibers and stuff like that but really for sustainability there is wool you just can't beat it you know um i've had wool pads for over 10 to 15 years they're pads i might be even be able to pass down to my kids <laughs> and and um you know the way that it's farmed and and what's available out there in the world you can get wool from almost any any part of the world and in different colors as well so you're not adding the extra dyes and stuff too that are going to be so close to the horse's back of course that's not all but when you're looking at the grand scheme of of it right you have so many areas when you can go check 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 you know that's definitely a product that i would i would personally lean more towards to have um for my own horses too so thank you for for speaking on that um and i'm excited to see your saddle pad that you're coming out with and i think that's that's super cool super cool franco i think we all if uh in the horse world we all kind of stood behind each other and lifted each other up you know what i mean um right. we're all gonna we're all gonna go far um and our horses are gonna thrive and we're gonna thrive too as riders if we have the right, right equipment and stuff so yes yeah i know that's true that's true yeah but i think we must just never stop no, never quit designing developing and you know looking for better options and stuff but sometimes you know you think oh, yeah, this is great yeah but at the end of the day it's like just going back to basics a hundred years ago then you probably almost have a better product than you think you would if you spend another half a million developing something right it's just like going back to basics because how did they do it in the past and it seemed to work all right and why did they use it and for how long and was it actually successful and you know so some i found a lot of answers in past past and in the history and especially in the military and the you know those guys did the research and they got paid to do the research mm. and because the horse was not used for uh uh for work anymore and you know when came the came along the industrial revolution and you know now it was just all pleasure so a lot of that information is out there it's just buried we must just go and find it and and recover it and and, and use it and <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's kind of um, like along the lines of the Spanish saddles. Oh yeah. You know, that's like a whole nother, <laughs> that's another dive off a cliff there in conversation world. But like, you know, again, saddles that have been used for hundreds of years, they have saddles that are a hundred years old and have been used that entire time and are still holding up. So what are what are some of the pieces of that that we can take and maybe utilize and and uh, 
and right, use, yeah. right? Especially on, I'm, I'm really having a good look at the Spanish saddle and, and properly built Spanish saddles and even Portuguese saddles and the materials mm -hmm. they're using, you know, all that straw and what straw that they use. And if you look at just uh, these, um, this place close by us that did all the brooms for the Harry Potter movie, you know, what kind of grass and straw and, you know, what do they use to make those brooms? And if you look after that broom, it lasts your lifetime. And the same with the, with those saddles, what they have in there, what kind of natural fibers do they use? And um, why did they use it? And it's, yeah, the that's supposed to get wet and soak that, you know, and the more you ride that same, that saddle with on the same horse, the more you get a custom fit. So uh, yeah, going just back to basics, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just very fearful that I don't know how long we're going to be able to have leather in the industry because things are going a little sideways. And, and um, you know, you do get these questions, do you make a vegan saddle kind of thing? And it's like, you know, then we're going to go into synthetic stuff and um, all the natural fibers and even plant-based fibers and materials and stuff are going to, you know, phase out. And then just now, they're going to have a replacement for leather. And I don't think there's anything that can replace leather as yet. <laughs> no, no, you know what? And this is, this is actually interesting because sustainability has actually been a, a big kind of heart piece of mine. A lot of what we're doing, a lot of our, our work that we're doing, our equestrian center, I mean, our goal is to have it fully off grid in the next few years. Um, and to really look at sustainability as a whole so for example in the dressage community and stuff and it's not calling out there's some beautiful um tack coming out and there's some beautiful saddle oh, yeah. pads coming uh -huh. out they're really fantastic but the material in them are not um they they're kind of spouted as like an eco um friendly option however sustainably they're they're made out of plastics and even then a lot of times when, it, when you kind of dig a little bit deeper for example they'll say like a recycled polyacrylic material or fiber um, but there's only about 10 percent or 15 percent or 20 percent of the recycled material in there and then the rest is still we're still kind of pouring in you know 80 percent of new plastic or new material back into the in, environment right. globally right and so when I look at sustainability, um, originally it was kind of like, how do we, how can we replace leather? How can we do that? And this was a, this was funny. I grew up on a, on a, on a cattle ranch. <laughs> My husband and I hunted and we raised our own animals and, and uh, I have a whole new heart for, um, again, in that industry, that's a, again, another topic for uh, right. to dive down. But I think what what's kind of coming forward is you can't really replace leather as of yet. However, we can um, start source more ethically leather, which we'd probably have to pay a little bit higher price for. And keeping in mind that although, you know, when you really look at the, the environmental impact of some of those, those new fibers that are coming out, you know, they don't really, they're not really that much, that much better so that's why i agree with wool for example wool is you know um probably one of the most sustainable fibers out there that ha holds up long term that we've been using for hundreds of thousands of years right um correct yeah. and yeah. and leather leather as well and and i'm inter i'm always interested to see new fibers come out i know cork is kind of there's a um a right. company and Portugal that's coming out with a, a cork leather alternatives. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> yeah. I'm real, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, hand, yeah. that is so cool. I need to, I need to learn more, right? Will it work? Will it hold up over time? Will it, is it like, I always think sustainability as well is something that you have for a long period of time, right? So something I, you know, I would love to have a saddle I could pass down to my kids, right? Whether, I mean, at that point it's sacked out and it needs some love and treatment, you know, that's another thing. But, but, you know, sometimes we're looking for these quick fixes that might not be able to hold up over time. And then you're just continuously. Yeah. Anyways, long, long, deep dive into that. I am pretty intrigued by the cork though. I think that looks kind of interesting. So we'll see. Oh, if they make it in sheep goods, I can probably make you a saddle with cork too. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, yeah, we, yeah. there's all types of, uh, explorative, uh, options there. You, you know, right. I'm all for that. I think, I think innovation and creativity, there's a lot that has to go into, uh, to uh, helping um, 
things evolve. That's kind of the whole the whole mind behind this is like, and in my experience, I've always I always said I've been disciplined and confused because I grew up on a working cattle ranch. I did a little britches rodeo, yeah. some girl racing, you know, <laughs> then polo and dressage <laughs> and jumping and whatever I could get myself into. Um, and so I think, you know, the, that universal truth piece again is that we need to stop discriminating between specific, um, styles of riding and specific ways of maybe caring for our horse's feet and specific ways of, um, everything and learn the value that each and every single one of those pieces can bring to the table. Then we can start to pick and find what works for our, in, in for ourselves and for our individual horses and, and again, more of an open-minded approach as to what um, can, can work there. You know what I mean? That's the universal truth I'm seeing, whether it's saddle making, treed or treeless, you know, or if it's barefoot or shoes, same with dis- disciplines, dressage, Western English, you know, how, how we look at them, right? And, and what, right. We're, what we're doing in them. So anyways, anyways, Franco, I have loved this conversation. I hope maybe in the near future, you're willing to come back onto the podcast. We're going to definitely keep uh, the doors open for good, honest conversation and, and to kind of look at some new innovative approaches to saddles and, and tack and equipment. Just, uh, you know, doing dentistry as well, or even the vets, talking with them in the dentistry, you know, lameness. And lameness is not necessarily a foot issue. It's not necessarily... Sometimes it's hooks on the back top molars that causes lameness, that causes a salafit issue, you know, so I have to kind of look at all that as well. So if you bring all that into make a complete um, picture, it's, it's, it's so fun. You know, it's really fun. But thank okay, you. Well, thank you for yeah. having me. <laughs> well, there you have it, you guys. That was my awesome conversation with Franco Clotes from Clotes Saddles. Check out his website at www.clotesaddles.com. I love having open-hearted conversations with open-minded people about any part of the horse industry, whether it is growth and development, whether it's attack and equipment or training styles and methodologies, you guys. So any, any type of advice or ideas that you guys have that you would love to hear on this podcast, please make sure to reach out and let me know. I also want to take a moment to announce that we have an equestrian line launching in mid to the end of April called Valkyrie Equestrian. We'll be providing um, sustainably sourced and tack and equipment for both horse and rider. So if you guys have any questions about that, make sure to head on over to Valkyrie Equestrian and I'll have more stuff popping up there in the next few weeks for our launch as well as an awesome contest. So make sure to check that out. And again, thank you as always for listening to our podcast and supporting us. We hope you guys have a great day.